1: Enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Shlomi Ron. I'm uh, the CEO of the Visual Storytelling Institute. We are a consulting uh, practice based here in uh, sunny Miami, Florida. And welcome to another episode of the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. Today, if you're following my recent podcast episode, I've been devoting a lot of time to the metaverse and immersive storytelling. So today we're going to talk about... uh, Another aspect that is getting a lot of uh, traction, which is uh, volumetric storytelling. What is it? What are the applications? What brands can actually do with it to bring more kind of emotional empathy with their audiences? So to help me with this uh, exciting topic, I have the great pleasure to speak with Elizabeth Barron. And after an impressive 30-year career at Ford, leading various immersive reality programs, she's now actually continuing her immersive journey and serving as the enterprise solution executive at Unity. And as you all know, this is Unity's, the world leading real-time 3D development platform. So with that, welcome to the show, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here, Shlomi. Awesome. Awesome. So I kind of alluded a little bit in my intro about your long career. (laughs) True. It's kind of amazing. So why don't you kind of share with us your journey, how you got into immersive realities and storytelling using the latest technologies?
0: Yeah, sure. Um, So I started out my career actually as a computer graphics programmer at Mm -hmm. Ford Motor Company. So I worked at Ford for over thirty years, and I never actually worked on a vehicle. Uh-huh. I produced technology for vehicle development. Um, I was specifically uh, geared towards computer graphics and um, visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, I I worked in the area of how to take multiple parts of a vehicle and bring it together so that you could visualize a complete vehicle, which was uh, quite a feat back in the day, if you can imagine, um, you know, 25 years ago trying yeah. to do that. <laughs> it was uh, various stages of completeness until it was done. Um, and mm-hmm. so my my journey basically was that I thought uh, using immersive environments provided a new and different method of communication that can't be experienced on like a flat screen. Uh-huh. And um, I really believed in the uh, paradigm of um, immersive volumetric storytelling uh, pretty much before its time. So I was <laughs> I started doing immersive VR in um, 1999. That was our first deployed version. It had uh, 60,000 polygons in the world And it ran like super slow and it was, you know, um, yeah, not really ready for prime (laughs) time, but it was, a, um, it taught us a lot. It taught us what to do and what not to do, which is just Mm -hmm. as important. Um, And from there, we, we just kept iterating on the technology, Um, but it really took off once we were able to do real-time ray tracing in VR and get very high levels of quality and get a lot of data and content um, to make evaluations across teams and functions. I
1: see. I see. And that's kind of uh, paved your, your path towards uh, more immersive uh, storytelling in uh, developing models for forward in uh, as part of the prototyping uh, process, I'm guessing,
0: Exactly. Exactly. And so, to do the prototyping, um, it's that's a very loose term mm-hmm. because it can mean um, a physical model. Often, mm-hmm. it means a, a combination of uh, the physical model with um, that is scenario based. So that's where the storytelling comes in. Right. Uh, a lot of times, I know that um, a lot of your listeners are really geared toward uh, uh, the. Marketing aspect and the yep. um, like, how to take the brand and represent it properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a, a definite major initiative to represent um, final customers, represent uh, marketing early on in product development, and I see that uh, now at Unity as well. Like with lots of clients that we work with, there there is um, a definite need to understand earlier. Make changes that are uh, market driven and then have um, perhaps more um, data when you're making those decisions and then be more agile as you're making them.
1: I see. Yeah. So it's fascinating. It seems like you kind of start from the early days of probably the AutoCAD technologies to (laughs) kind of visualize uh, 3D environments and then, you know, you kind of. uh, moved along as the technology matures uh, with more interesting, more kind of complicated uh, challenges. That's awesome. So before we dive deeper into exactly what you're doing, I'd like to kind of zoom out a little bit and that's something I do with all my guests. This is kind of a Mm -hmm. philosophical question. You know, with your journey is how would you define visual storytelling from your standpoint? Uh, I think,
0: visual storytelling is um, experiential. So I would say that it's experiencing um, a scenario in context. So I think that's the, the simplest way I could define it. Um, so if I was going to be more long-winded about it, I'd say that visual <laughs> storytelling is um, the ability to understand, experience, and then um, have um, some type of emotive response to uh, some type of journey that you want to take somebody on. And uh-huh. the, the way to um, represent that mm-hmm. um, has never been better in the industry. So it's, this is an exciting time to be a visual storyteller.
1: Absolutely. Definitely. Cool, very cool. So now that we got your perspective about uh, the field in general, let's zero in on volumetric storytelling. For people who have no clue what it is, we're gonna hear it for the first time here maybe. How would you define it?
0: So volumetric storytelling is um, adding that dimension of uh, you into the story. Um, It's very personal because now you are an actor in the story. So you can be told a story um, that is presented to you, but a volume, volumetric storytelling lets you navigate through the world and use your uh, physical presence as part of the story and or part of the discovery. So sometimes telling a story is about um, like a fun experience or... Yep you know, somewhere you're going, sometimes telling a story is about um, the product in a phase of development. And it's the story of the um, engineering integrity of, you know, the, the product. So the story, volumetric storytelling lets you be involved. So like in the work that I did at Ford, if you can be immersed inside of an environment that you have a one-to-one relationship between you and the vehicle, Mm -hmm. and then you can walk around the volume that is represented by the virtual vehicle at scale, then the presence that you feel and the connection you feel to the data, even if it's engineering data is much stronger and it's, it's, it's much more relatable to you um, even as a a scientist or engineer. Um, And then the beauty of um, doing that kind of volumetric storytelling is you're also representing the the art as well as the science so mm-hmm. now you can say this is a beautiful well-crafted vehicle here's what it looks like if we put um this, the structural um you know stresses on the body panels and then you can flip back and say this is what it looks like in various uh trim levels so there's an immense amount of information, um, immense amount of stories that can be told. And it's really about how a product is developed for the um, consumer in the end and how it would be marketed.
1: Got it, got it. And, and just to kind of uh, clarify it even further from the technology standpoint for creating volumetric storytelling, in my mind, you know, when I think about it, when you create 3D Content, you can pretty much start from the lowest level as a 360 video camera, right? Which mm-hmm. basically yep. puts you in a bubble and there's not much you could do. You just can look 360 degrees and that's what you see. And right. you kind of trap there. The next level is probably a VR experience where you can design different spaces and you can move around and the scenery will change. How volumetric uh, storytelling, what technology do you use to? generate something different?
0: So um, the importance of volumetric storytelling, like what's different, I guess, is um, the technology can vary. So um, like using, I actually happened to, I mean, I'm such a geek. I have a 360 camera sitting right next to me. (laughs) Just using it earlier. But uh, it's it's not ideal. um, And that type of volumetric storytelling would really be from one point of view and it's not something uh, you could interact with. Um, but the, my preferred methods vary depending on what is needed to get the, um, the right story told. I'll put it that way. So um, immersive VR, I'm a huge fan. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I think i um, having the ability to navigate through the world, like I just described, is really important for volumetric storytelling, because we are, um, you know, uh, inhabitants of our world, and we understand how we relate to things at uh, scale. Mm -hmm. So when we're talking about um, products and marketing and um, engineering, Mm -hmm. having that relationship in a VR environment is great. Also, having that relationship in an or a mixed environment can also be uh, great and it can be more beneficial or less just depending on what yeah, the, the purpose yeah, yeah mm-hmm. and the purpose. So an example would be if I wanted to compare an option, like I want to make a change to my product. So I look at it as a prototype and then I in, through augmentation, look at the change. So -hmm. now I still have a a scale one-to-one representation, and then I can see the change. So I can go A, B, A, B, and then I can see it in the proper light. Um, Another way to tell a story that's volumetric, and this may seem like it's not, but is windowing into the world in um, using like an iPad or even a mobile device, like and AR
1: basically. It's reality? like
0: a, yeah, like AR and and that type of AR. Um, there's a lot of uh, work you can do for quality inspections mm-hmm. and and things like that. Where it's still volumetric, it's still three D. Um, it's presented to you on a, a tablet, so that's two D in most cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's okay because it is really about what is the right tool for the job. So sometimes right. getting immersed in VR and looking at um, a, a quality issue on a vehicle is,
2: hmm.
0: it's not a good thing. It's, that's actually too much tech for the answers that you need. So hmm. it, it really does depend. And so, in, and even in marketing, right? Sometimes yep. you want to tell that story. And you want to tell it in a way that's simple and engaging for the people that you're trying to reach, and not like here, put this thing on your head and you know create a volume and you know, like yeah. that—that's too too much uh, tech for what the message is that you're trying to impart or the story that you're trying to tell.
1: Right. So just to kind of summarize, for my the difference between like standard VR to volumetric. Uh, you mentioned earlier it's really like the the point of view of the storyteller basically you providing a very single view that you decide and unlike vr where there are multiple views i mean the you are playing an avatar and can go whatever you want but with volumetric you already set the storytelling perspective for people to follow right you've set the
0: story for people to follow but then you can let them um, to like branch their narrative. I see. So I they see. can, they can, uh, an effective, um, story told in the volumetric space would allow people to, uh, go to wherever they want. And I mean, within reason sure. <laughs> and and maybe without reason, right? Because if it's in VR, you can do You know, you can break the laws of physics. Just you know, you have lots of uh, (laughs) creative freedom there. If you're not, you know, you have to be careful not to uh, make people sick. There's that whole thing. But I mean, you you can let them uh, choose their path and um, get very meaningful, valuable data. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, um, you, you can really understand the the customer and understand why they did things. So. An example of that um, would be, there's a lot of work done on um, the user experience aspect of product. So Mm -hmm. how does a customer relate to the product and we an engineer will design something in a um, human machine interface. Uh, would have a certain configuration. And it it will be decided by the product teams that this is the ideal way that people are going to interact with a product. Mm -hmm. And then in the virtual world, we can say, here's a scenario. uh, Can you use my product? And then you find out that they choose Instead of A, B, and C, they choose B, A, and C. And and then you're like, why are they doing that? But that's very important data uh, to move forward and to understand why uh, customers do what they do and what um, types of thought processes that they go through while they're interacting with the product Mm -hmm. that you want them to enjoy. Got it.
1: Now that makes a perfect sense. And thank you for kind of clarifying, you know, the difference between the other disciplines. And can you t- talk, talk a little bit about uh, the entry points from the end user perspective to volumetric storytelling? How do they actually consume the content? Is it VR headset, AR glasses, desktop computers?
0: Um, all of the above, um, The the entry point, for consumers i think mm-hmm. um in general needs to be very straightforward um and like i just described for uh, other types of volumetric storytelling mm-hmm. um it can run the gamut from you know mobile devices yeah. through fully immersive uh vr um scenarios so i think that the um, the technique that's used mm-hmm. to uh, do volumetric storytelling will really depend on the um sab, tech savviness of the clients that you're trying to reach um so i think there's a, there's a fair amount of uh gamers that are um that love their vr experiences mm-hmm. and and those type of gamers can be um Very. I mean, it's just conducive for them to say, "Okay, I want to go into this immersive space and I want to, uh, you know, and and there's opportunities there for marketing to say, like, um, here, try this new fun thing and then you can get, you know, good feedback and then get your product out there that way. I I think the normal way is more um, tablet and uh, mobile based for most clients. Got it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and that brings us to if you could share, you know, what you're working on uh, at Unity, you know, with the freedom that you have, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just to give, give color to, you know, everything you just described, because uh, you know everybody is following uh, the great uh, work from Unity. Obviously, now with the metaverse that uh, comes to our lives in the past couple of months, so I'm exactly, sure people are kind of curious. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So um, I'm
0: very excited to work um, in the digital twin space. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're thinking about the fourth industrial revolution and Web3 and um, how the metaverse uh, will enable mm-hmm. um, these technologies to um, be realized in enterprise. So I I really, I work in the enterprise space. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm working with major automotives, aerospace, um, you know, different manufacturers Mm -hmm. and looking at how the digital twin platform um, can be applied throughout their company so that they can have a holistic view of um, their product at any time. So I I- I keep saying like a, a unity, it just makes me happy. It's uh, unity is really a unifier and it, it unifies um, a bunch of data sets and brings data in context in for a common understanding of uh, product health at any time.
1: And, and so, so this like the promise of the interoperability, right? Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. So there's, okay. there's so much, uh, yeah, the promise of, interoperability and then the promise of um, smart decisions that can be made based on a multitude of data sets that don't normally um, work well together. So an example is taking um, computational fluid dynamics data of like uh, you know, the airflow yep. um, and then marrying that with um, a, a product that looks like it's sitting at your home. Mm. And so it's, you can, you know, you can change the time of day, you can mm. um, put the airflow on, you can look at the stress, you can um, see if it's like, um, let's say it's a, a vehicle, you can see it um, through its stages of manufacture, you can it's apply the simulator. manufacturing process to design, like, I mean, it's just the, the possibilities are very yeah. great and very impactful.
1: Right. And one thing you mentioned, uh, and I'm curious about uh, what is digital twin technology?
0: So uh, digital twin is a, a twin of the uh, physical world, mm-hmm. but it's also a twin of the process that, oh that goes along with it. And that's that's the key. So if you can take the product at any point in its development and represent it digitally, that's one aspect. But then also taking the, the process and the things that you do to develop that product and then represent that data um, in the digital world. So now at any stage of uh, development, you can say, okay, I have this data that is geometric, but I also have the data that represents the attributes of what that product is. And then I also have the data that represents um, what we're doing at that point in the process to create that uh, product. So it's, it's a combination, it's not just you know geometry, it's geometry and um, intelligent information. That comes together to replicate basically what all of the steps that would be done to make a product um, in the end
1: so it sounds like in my mind, sort of uh, as part of the product development process it's it's really playing on two play, on two spaces: one is the virtual, one is the physical, right, and you have mm-hmm. different aspects of uh, the product generating data sources, both from the physical work that employees are doing and some from the simulation that are living on the virtual through the volumetric storytelling. And each Mm -hmm. sphere is actually fitting into the other as part of improving the product towards the the finish line.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Because it's like when you think about all of the different things that are done uh, to make a product, what can Mm -hmm. be understood where relevant systems relate one to another. I see. So there are, um, every company has vertical functions Mm -hmm. that uh, are, you know, they're doing design and they're doing uh, different types of engineering and ergonomics and manufacturing. But how do those, uh, every one of those functions Mm -hmm. adds a level of completement completeness to a company's digital twin right uh, but putting them together provides the holistic view of uh what that is really like and so that's that's the real power
1: that's amazing well you know now you got me super curious to see some uh, visual examples that uh, you promised to share with us
0: (laughs) okay yeah so here i will share let's see um let me see how get this screen share. So, um, I think it's this one. Okay, so I'm going to go full screen so you can see it uh, yep. nicely. Um, so this is uh, basically these are the functions. So this is really what. Can you see me? Is that kind of? Yeah, no, I'm it's perfect. This down. Okay, it's all right, good. Um, so this is basically what I mean by all of these the different functions. So all of these things are happening, and there's marketing, there's, um, you know, configuration of different options for product. Mm-hmm. But if, if we can get to the point with the digital twin, where all of these verticals, where normally they don't really, like, talk to each other, oh, if we can get them to be represented in one holistic uh, area... And that's what what I mean by unity being a unifier. So taking all of these functions and representing all of these d- data in context and in a holistic manner, that is incredibly powerful. And then if um, I'm going to go down to, because what it would look like is, um, okay, so hopefully you can see this. So this is, is Yep. That, yep. yep. So what this is is, Take thinking about those vertical functions, and then representing them, and you can see how they all relate to each other. Mm. So now, when you're doing assembly ergonomics, and you're thinking about the the human, and and making sure that the workers are safe and that they're not stressing their body um, mm. like too much when they're doing the the process of assembly, and then you can see how that relates to serviceability and. Um, you know, design verification, and all of these systems kind of relate one to another. Um, That's really, really powerful in the way that um, the companies can uh, use a twin to understand a beautiful design, and how to make it, and then how to sell it.
1: So for example, you know, it looks like uh, the digital twin technology is in essence a unified uh, drawing board that you know the actual uh, sketch is constantly evolving throughout the stages and if i'm marketing and, and i'm accessing this g- drawing board i'm going to hit marketing aspect and see you know the value benefits from marketing perspective versus uh, mm-hmm. people from customer clinics or design they're going to have their uh, their own respective aspects or data point to look at. Exactly. And so you can see how like uh, if
0: if a design is created
2: mm-hmm.
0: and we, and let's say it goes out uh, to a customer clinic and the customer uh, provides feedback that is maybe not consistent with the direction that the design was going. Nice. With a holistic twin, that data can be received during the clinic and mm. things can happen to, to either change the design or stay the course or whatever, but intelligent decisions can be made because now that data, it doesn't go back and get processed. And then, right. you know, they have to figure out how that data relates back to the design and which level of data did they yeah. use. And, you know, there's all these um, breaking points Sure, when the, when these arrows aren't connected one to another. And so now this, this whole process and even serviceability, like we can do, you know, you could do serviceability tests Mm. and understand virtually and then feed that back into um, engineering. And, you know, like, but just uh, this whole interconnectedness Mm. is what's so beautiful about a digital twin.
1: That's fantastic. And I wonder, you know, since you're in the enterprise, do you have example of uh, clients from a variety of sectors like, you know, automotive, you know, education, training, uh, manufacturing? Yep, I- indeed. So um,
0: let's see, let me share. Um, so for manufacturing, this is a, interesting one. Um, Let's see here. Just one second. It's hard because I'm remembering I have to make sure to screen share and and then I'm okay, so let's see, I'm gonna go to here. Okay, so um, this example, um,
2: let me see, go full screen. Sorry, just a sec.
0: hard on my little teeny laptop here. (laughs) Here we go. All right. So this example is basically um, doing some volumetric storytelling using uh, the physical world and the virtual world together. And this, so the, on the left, you see what um, he is seeing while he's immersed. But what's so interesting is He's actually modifying like turning a knob and the physical world and it's uh updating real time for him in the virtual world. And then he's placing <laughs> it in different locations and you can see it move from the top and it went to the bottom because he changed where the receptacle is. Um and inside the that's a 3D printed part. So it can take any shape, any form, uh within reason. I guess not any. Yep. There's like, you know. Size constraints, but uh, basically, what he could do is um, allow uh, feedback that is proper, and because he's registered properly, he's in a, a an old vehicle that represents the the vehicle that's under development. But now, microcontrollers can be um, integrated with. 3D printed parts. And then in the immersive space, you can tell the story of the product's development. So yeah, doing that type of work is um, like insanely productive. And then the, like the same thing goes for, um, you know, different types of um, like, like energy industries, mm-hmm. or, um, you know, if you wanna look at um, uh, cities, you um, you can use the technology to like understand um, like traffic flow and um, patterns, mm-hmm. and um, I think let's see. This is just an image, but it's just like really about um, the the thought about having probability spaces. So each one of these vehicles um, is a full vehicle model. It, it can be replicated multiple times. You can build this city. Um, It's it's like Lego building blocks. Um, You can change the time of day, you can change the weather conditions, you can understand these uh, traffic patterns, and then you really get at the essence for the customer's experience in in um, an urban setting, and then you can change it to a country drive and, and so do world building uh, for volumetric storytelling, and then these worlds can be um, experienced either from the first person perspective you're in that vehicle driving Mm -hmm. or from the third person perspective where you're you know doing urban planning and understanding like let's put 2,000 vehicles in this same scenario and then see what happens. So you can see that there's with uh, twinning the environments and twinning the the vehicles and Allowing a multitude of um, personas to be in these environments, it really opens up the the ability to um, uh, not only create like an in-cabin good experience for, Mm -hmm. in this case, for a vehicle, but it also allows the um, proper use, considering other people, which you have to consider, of course, in the real world when you're.
1: You know, no, this around. is fascinating. <laughs> it's really pretty much mind-boggling to see, you know, the different use cases, endless use cases, as you said, you know, from a single perspective, uh, you know, customer testing a car, or is it an ur- urban planner that needs to get a simulation to get an idea of different uh, time of day and density of traffic? And this is really Pretty much gives you like an open canvas uh, for creating a variety of uh, (laughs) volumetric stories that way. Exactly. And it's kind of interesting also to, so far you talked about uh, use cases that are all focused uh, in the planning process, where you're helping uh, what I call internal audiences, the employees basically generate better products. Do you also work with external audiences once the product is out and people you know clients looking for new data points, or maybe you get pulled into helping the marketing team and maybe developing the volumetric storytelling as part of their campaigns um so um
0: Sort of. <laughs> I I really do focus on the mm-hmm. um, industry space and the engineering space, yeah. uh, but mm-hmm. because as we've talked about, these systems are all connected.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I especially in my work at Ford, I worked quite a lot with uh, marketing teams mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. to understand the the customer is to understand how to produce an amazing product. And so they they really do go hand in hand. Um, And and so at Unity, um, as well, I get involved in the uh, marketing aspects and the immersive um, storytelling aspects uh, in the way that the vehicles, the, um, airplanes, trains, uh, yeah. helicopters mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> can yeah. be, um, uh, we can do scenario based, uh, product development mm-hmm. and then, um, create effective, uh, uh, use cases so that the product is well understood. Um, and that data does propagate to the end customer once the product is ready for release so like if you just think about um helicopters Mm -hmm. there's or or airplanes they're very specific so orders come in and it's not like here's my garden variety helicopter you know buy this or not it's (laughs) it's here is a, a a line to choose from and, and it's custom made and painted, and uh, you know, all of that. Right. right, right. Um, and so, so then now there's a lot going on in the uh, field of um, autonomous uh, mm-hmm. ve- vehicles, yep. and that includes helicopters. And you know, there's already fly by wire for oh, wow. um, planes. And so, <laughs> so, and then, um, you know, delivery uh, options through. Um, drones UAVs yeah uh, commonly called drones but um, those uh, those types of um, marketing like uh, how how do I put this that type of marketing um, is up and coming and many companies are interested in how do I automate and bring uh, product to people um, quickly and effectively safely yeah. And like safely, so that the product arrives undamaged and safe for the, you know, um, client that's receiving it and privately. So you're not violating any, um, you know, personal privacy through image um, technology and things like that. So got it. there's a, a lot going on in that space as well mm-hmm. that I'm involved in. But, you know, most of my focus is um, around enterprise. the, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah, the enterprise design and
1: engineering. Right. And from working with the enterprise clients, <clears throat> sorry, enterprise clients, what are the typical business goals clients are after, typically?
0: So yeah, so um, if like the the quality, costs, and speed, <laughs> so like they're really looking at how do I make efficient, uh, like gain efficiencies. Um, how do I increase the uh, throughput mm. and um, and amp up my game because now uh quality is um a point of entry you can't produce a lackluster product
1: product.
0: it's just i mean in the past i think with um the technology and how um complicated things were without um the benefit of a lot of um compute the there were error states in almost every product and people. You know, consumers mm-hmm. kind of lived with some level of goodness, yeah. but now that that's not the case. So the um, amazing quality is just an entry into the marketplace for most enterprise clients. So it's really about how, how do we um, allow them to use technology to predict um, not only when um, a, a failure has occurred, but when a failure might occur.
2: Mm. And,
0: and I think that also could be applied to marketing. Crisis how can you predict? Management. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. How do you predict um, before customers um, decide that they don't um, need your product anymore? How can you predict that that might be the trend? And then how can you um, use uh, some type of machine learning to figure out, okay, if I modified my product in this way, it would, um, provide a new, yeah, yeah, a new, um, bank of customers that I could, uh, you know, um, sell to basically. I see.
1: Yeah. So it sounds like, you know, the obvious, you know, business goals are quality control, of course, and, Mm -hmm and really testing and making sure that the product can face a variety of scenarios that probably feed later to the marketing folks as they're as the kind of the car is hitting the, the road, yeah. and coming into the hands of customers. And, and then it's, it's interesting to see if everything that you kind of predicted in the digital twin technology is actually happening in mm-hmm. real life. And yep. so there's always this uh, kind of a loop of uh, feedback. Exactly.
0: And, and now um, there is an effort to bring clients uh, into the world of um, allowing them to choose what product they want. So, in mm-hmm. um, vehicles, especially. Um, so like in, um, in like helicopters, airplanes, and now in automotive with autonomous vehicles, the um, manufacturing process and the customizability is seen as a, a differentiator.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So the ability, so robotics and AI and machine learning have opened up new avenues for production that allow customers and more choices. Um, so, if you think about if you ever bought a vehicle from Tesla, uh, for example, I, you yeah, know. <laughs> you get this or that, and then right. you could choose yeah. package A, B, or C mm-hmm. yeah. for your new Tesla. Um, but the, one of the new approaches that is coming out, based on um, using machine learning and mm-hmm. having um, robotics that can, um, you know, create smart factories, is Almost infinite customizability, so you're not limited to these certain packages, and and things are more modular. And robots are like zipping around, uh, bringing the right things to the right vehicles as they're being um, you know created. And then the customers are actually part of that process, and they can check on the status of their vehicle and be more engaged and and have more of a you know, uh, concierge kind of approach where oh, design we, pride,
1: design yes. pride feel that they actually yeah something unique to them.
0: Yeah, exactly, and mm-hmm. it is unique to them, and yep. and then yeah, and then maybe they can um, go mm-hmm. visit the factory and check things right. out, and you know, so there's a um, um, a different model that is being tried out, and that's also very exciting because I think it's it holds. Um, an mm-hmm. immense amount of promise and I think it could be the the way of the future for the way um, all kinds of vehicles yeah. um, planes trains and automobiles are uh, sold to clients worldwide
1: right in three your time working uh, with enterprise uh, clients on a variety of volumetric uh, storytelling uh, challenges what seems to be the you know, the most uh, popular misconception from the client side about volumetric storytelling?
0: Um, I think the most popular or the common uh, misconception is that the you have to be fully immersed in a virtual world in order mm. to be um, uh, participating in volumetric storytelling. Oh, I see. Um, uh, and I think it's it's perhaps the misconception would be that it's really complicated to, to do that. And it can be complicated. And sometimes it should be com- like, it that shouldn't be, comp- it, it, sometimes it is complicated um, because of the level of uh, detail and maybe the mm-hmm. compute you need and all that good stuff, but it doesn't necessarily have to be incredibly complicated. Like even that example I showed with the um, gentleman in the, um, vehicle like that, that chopped up old car, <laughs> <laughs> like that is not pretty. Like in the physical world, it's not pretty. Yeah, but in the virtual world, it's it's gorgeous and it's functional and it. So so things don't have to be just right in order to uh, do volumetric storytelling. And the combination of the virtual and the physical worlds, I think, is something that um, isn't um, isn't used as much as it could be especially in the
1: because they complementing reality space yeah yeah they're complementing each other in this case so you exactly. get the touch from the physical and the visual is actually coming from the virtual so, right yeah so now for you know last question is uh, really you know for any brands that are looking to get into Volumetric storytelling. What would you say are your top three tips? Um, so I, I think the top three
0: tips for getting into volumetric storytelling. Um, one would be to uh, have a solid reason um, and solid story mm-hmm. to engage somebody with, and um, and then I I would also another tip would be to know um, what the difference is. So I think, and by what I mean by that is that volumetric storytelling provides you with more information than you can get, I think we said this at the beginning, than than from a flat screen. Mm -hmm. So what it gives you is a personal connection to the experience that you're having. And that personal connection is emotive, it's scientific, it's very personal, and it's relatable. And so um, you play the strengths of what volumetric storytelling has to offer. So I guess that that would be the the second tip. And then um, I think finally is um, have the right type of experience. So if it's something that you're really, really relies on um, looking and understanding and seeing something that is true to life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, by all means, do whatever you can to make it look true to life. Don't make it look, um, you know, less than. And then expect somebody to have a good experience with it because that's there, there's a break if oh, in cognitive um, load. Like if somebody sees something and the shadows are all wrong, or the color is off. Yeah. It, it, it's not believable. And then you've lost them. So especially for marketing, if, if that's important, then make sure that that's really rock solid the way it looks. And also the interactions that you're doing in the um, immersive space have to be right on. So yeah. if you start with a, um, a game controller, Right. And you're asking somebody to open a car door by holding a game controller and opening the door. That's another break that is not realistic. And then people will say, okay, I'm really not in a real experience. But if you track their hand, right. and then yeah, they there's sense. a connection and they, they <laughs> touch the area that the door would be because you yeah. understand that the 3D nature and then the door opens and they're like, Oh, sweet, I'm in this virtual vehicle. Now I'm going to reach over and close the door. And so so those are three tips that, you know, I think could help.
1: No, this is fantastic. Wow, this is amazing. And just to summarize, everybody, focus on the story, the power of the story, and the strength of the volumetric storytelling, you know, through emotive motive and the data feeds that you're going to get. And finally, make it realistic to your use case that you're trying to figure out, right? because that's what's going to get you the best results uh, as closest to, you know, the real-life execution. So, wow, thank you so much, Elizabeth. This has been a fantastic conversation. I learned so much, and I'm sure we're going to talk some more. But for my audience, anybody have more questions for you, how can they reach out?
0: Okay, so um, I'm on uh, Twitter at uh, Immersive Stories. Mm-hmm. um so it's i-m-m-e-r-s-i-v stories mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> or um or through linkedin you know just find me on linkedin and wonderful. um i'd love to connect so i'm just like elizabeth s Barron on linkedin brilliant so thank you very much lomi it's been great
1: uh, yeah thank you talking again. with you no it's been wonderful you know there's so much a uh... I think we opened the appetite uh, of many people to try volumetric storytelling uh, for their projects. So thank you again. And for everybody listening or watching, uh, it's been great. Uh, We'll see you the next time at the Visual Storytelling Today podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Visual Storytelling Today is recorded in Miami, Florida. The show is published exclusively by Visual Storytelling Institute. Learn more at visualstorytell.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on the iTunes store. Until next time, don't let your big story wait to be told.